This sermon is brought to you by Shofar East London. Together, living out the fullness of Christ. We hope you enjoyed this message. I have the privilege of sharing the word with you tonight. My husband has a well-deserved evening off. Normally, when I preach, he's ministering somewhere else in the country. So, it's rare for him not to be here on a Sunday. So, it's my honor and my privilege just to share with you. I'm ending off a series that Andre started three weeks ago called Legacy. So, he's been focusing on relationships and marriage and parenting. And it's something that's actually very close to my heart. So, it it blessed me tremendously, you know, just hearing my husband speaking about these things that, you know, there's so many things we can preach about. And... There's so many important things, you would agree? I mean, there's just so many topics we can cover. But ultimately, uh, for me, this, this series has been amazing because, you know, if, if our relationships don't work, you know, it's, it's pointless trying to teach you how to, how to read your Bible and how to prophesy over somebody. If, you're, if, you're, if your marriage or your relationships are truly battling, this is where we need to start focus and, and to put our put our emphasis on. So, yeah, it was just an amazing month for me just to, to focus on these things. So, I want to share with you, you know, what, what happened to me in my second year at university. I received a very interesting word while I was just I was just spending time with God in my room, and God took me to a passage in the book of Samuel where the prophet Samuel was going to anoint King David. And for those of you who are familiar with the story, he went to Jesse's house, David's dad, and he had seven sons who passed. And God said to Samuel, no, not one of these you know, impressive guys are the king. There's, there's another one. So it ended up being David was the eighth one. And they had to call him. And you know, he ended up being anointed as the king. So God said to me, this is just what I felt in my heart. I didn't hear an audible voice. It was just a sense in my heart. He said to me, Sonica, there's going to be seven guys showing interest in you for a more serious relationship. Or, or you might look at somebody and, and think there's potential for a more serious relationship. But there will be seven guys in your life. It's not going to be one of them. Your husband is not going to be one of them. It's going to be number eight. So, I mean, it's a very interesting word. I was so scared to tell anybody because it's, you know, it's a bit out of the norm. So I wrote it down. I kept it in my heart. And in the meantime, God started showing me who these guys were. So just a disclaimer, this is not the word that everybody will receive in terms of their future husband. So please don't feel... <gasps> Oh my goodness, God must show me something like this, otherwise I can't get married. This is not how it works. Okay, in, in general, God uses a variety of ways to bring people together. Andre and I just we have we have had specific things from God in that season, and today we understand why God had to speak so specifically. But for us it worked like that. So okay, so now number seven arrives on the scene. I get track. Writing names down, not even knowing if this word is for real. Uh, not knowing if I actually heard God correctly. But I, I just decided, okay, let's just go with whatever I feel. And, and I started writing names down through the years. It took a couple of years. And now uh, it ends up 
you know, with number seven, and I had to convince him, listen, I'm not serious, I'm not interested in a serious relationship. And so there goes the friendship, because, I mean, it's just, yeah. So now I, I remember this word. And I, I became very nervous around guys, because what if this word is for real, and what if the next person showing interest in me is now my husband, and what if I actually don't like him? What if... <laughs> You know, what if this whole thing backfires? So now I was in a residence in Stellenbosch and we had this dance and people, uh, the organizing committee needed people to come to this dance because they had to make budgets. So they, they begged all of us, please, Sonika, can you come to this dance? And I'm like, oh, I'm so nervous. I don't want to ask anybody. So then I said to them, I will come. I'm going to ask Andre. This is now my husband. I'm going to ask Andre and if he agrees, I'll come. I'm not going with any other guy, okay? Because I never thought he would be interested in me, you know? According to me, he was super cool. I was very uncool. It's all in my own mind. I was the uncool one. He was cool. Surely, he will never be interested. So I felt safe around him. We were really good friends, which now I know is a very good foundation for a future marriage. But back then, I just thought, I feel so comfortable with you because you're never going to be interested in me. So I didn't feel under any pressure. So now he comes with me to this dance, and we were talking, and it's just an awesome evening. And somewhere during the evening, I heard myself say to him, I'm so thankful you are my date tonight because you are such a safe option. And this is not apparently something you say to a guy, which I didn't know, but now Andre didn't know about this word. I said it to him based on this word. He didn't know about anything. And... You know, meantime, meantime has been in love with me for more than a year, but he didn't. Now, if you know Andre, he, he's not shy to speak, you know. So it must have been a miracle. I often think maybe God closed his mouth like he closed the lions, you know, in Daniel, in the book of Daniel, in the den. He closed Andre's mouth because if Andre said something, he would have, like, messed up this word, Okay. I don't know, then God had to maybe come up with something else to convince me. <laughs> but then he would have been maybe number six or seven, I don't know. But now Andre didn't say anything. But now, during this evening, so I said to him, you're such a safe option. And the next moment, he said to me, Sonica, can we please go outside? I, w I would like to pray for you. And I was, yeah, I mean, this is what Andre did. This is what he still does. He prays for anything, anytime, all the time. <laughs> so we go outside. And then he prays for my future husband. And I, I thought, this is so sweet of him. You know? I thought, nobody does this. This is why I really like you so much, you know, as a friend. And then, in the meantime, he is letting go of this girl who's not getting it. So he said to me, he, he, he tried, you know, to show his interest, but I didn't see it. I didn't get it. Maybe... My eyes were closed and his lips were sealed. I don't know. But that night, he just decided he's letting go of this girl. So fast forward, less than three years later, I got married to my safe option. <laughs> and we were young. We didn't have good role models. And we, we were very different personality-wise. We've grown together over the years. But back then, we were very different, and we had to navigate through this thing called marriage. And 
often, you know, we didn't know what was coming next. It often felt like a minefield because we, we were young and ignorant and we had to make this work and we didn't always know how. But I think our saving grace was that we had, but we both wanted to make it work. And I think most couples really do. But we had this determination, you know, we attended every marriage seminar we could find. We, if, if there was anything advertised in our church, we were there. And we read books, we talked, we, we prayed, we forgave. We, you know, we, 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 would, we would go through everything that, that we need to do to, to reconnect if the connection was broken down. And, you know, through the years, I think we developed... A few, we, we, we united around a few core values that today is our new normal. There's certain things in our home now that is just so normal, but 18 years ago when we got married, it wasn't normal. It, it was still foreign to us, all these values. And we just realized that if, if we can unite around certain core values, we can avoid the minefields. Because there's, there's going to be minefields in any relationship, especially a marriage relationship. But if we unite around certain core values, those minefields wouldn't necessarily disappear, but they could be transformed into a, a, a brick in your foundation, something solid, something positive, something secure, and it can become a blessing and not a curse, or a brick and not a stumbling block. So I would love to share with you tonight all minefields in relationships, especially in marriage, but you can make this applicable in any relationship, that by the grace of God and by the help of the Holy Spirit, we can turn this into a positive. Instead of, you know, an explosion all the time, this thing can actually be turned around. Not only avoiding it, but it could be turned around into something beautiful. Okay, so if you are not married tonight, I just want to encourage you, you know, I wish I heard these things when I was unmarried. And today I'm so thankful for certain things I've heard in, in terms of marriage before I got married because these things give you, it, it gives you a head start. If, if you want to get married one day, and I really believe all of us want to, and it's just, you know, it's a, it's a case of we, all, God has an has a appointed time for all of us. And sometimes some of us have to wait a little bit longer, and we don't always understand that. But if we can invest now, before we get married, it gives you a head start. And if you can unite around certain core values for you as an individual, it, you're investing in your future marriage, and you, you, you're sowing good seeds, more than you'll ever know. So for those of you unmarried, I'm really excited to have here tonight. Okay, so let's talk about the first one, familiarity. When we forget that our spouse, this happens in families, so it's not only your spouse, it's your children, it's siblings. You know, we see the worst. In a home, when you live close to one another, you see the worst. You see each other when you wake up, when you go to bed, when you're grumpy, when you're hungry, when you're moody, when you're tired. And because of that, it's so easy to take each other for granted. It's so easy just to, to become familiar. And when we forget that we are a gift, God has given my husband to me as a gift. I can never forget that. But the moment I do, I would become familiar. And I wouldn't treat him as I should. So I want to take you to a scripture in 1 Peter 3, verse 7. 
I'm going to speak to the men first. It says, in the same way you husbands must give honor to your wives. And then it says, treat your wife with understanding as you live together. So I want you to note that it doesn't say understand your wife. Understanding. It is. <laughs> There's a massive difference. Understand your wives. I have sympathy with men. That if it if it would have said understand your wives, I would have felt very sorry for you guys. Okay, and I know it's difficult. I mean, male, female, it is just. I think God knew what He did. I don't think so. I know that He did. He knew what He did. We can't do this without His help. We can't. We're not designed to understand one another without the help of God. But this scripture is so beautiful because it says treat your wife with understanding. So. The goal is not to understand her. The goal is to treat her with understanding. And I want to give you a few tips of how to get this right. <laughs> you need to listen, and then you need to listen again, and then you need to listen again. And without any interruptions, without the the the, uh, the presence of I don't have my phone, you know, but without the presence of technology, because then you're not really listening. So, if you want to treat your wife with understanding, you need to listen, listen, listen again, study her, make an intentional effort to get into her world, because it's not always going to make sense to you. It is, you're going to, if you are going to try and treat her with understanding, without listening, without paying attention, without making an intentional effort, it's going to be a struggle. So one of the best examples in our relationship is our jacket story. So most of you have, not most, some of you might have heard this, Andre's version, I've never talked about it. So we were at this wedding and it was freezing cold and there was this one girl, and she was really cold. And then the next moment, I heard my husband offering his jacket to this girl. And something in me freaked out. You know, it was like an instant war in my heart. And I, I was, you know, I was trying to, it's a wedding, you know, there's people, I need to now smile and be happy. And, and all of a sudden, it changed my, the atmosphere inside my heart changed from happiness to, you know, I want to kill this person. <laughs> and I didn't know what was going on, but, you know, luckily this girl didn't accept Andre's offer, praise God, because that would have even been worse. <laughs> Today, I also laugh about it, but that night was a total disaster. So now, I, I'm upset. I'm upset. I cannot hide it. I can maybe hide it slightly from um, strangers, but my husband knows me too well. He knows in an instant I'm super angry at him, and he cannot figure out why. You know, so I'm like, how dare you even consider giving your jacket to a girl? You know, and my husband's like, how dare you even be upset for me? Uh, you know, wanting to do something honourable and godly. You know, this is, now we miss each other. It is war, and we do not know how to solve this. Okay, so now we go for a walk. It's a wedding. There's church people. It's awkward. It is horrible. Now, on top of it, I start crying. My husband's worst nightmare in public. And it's not like hidden tears that nobody sees. It's like, 
I walk away because, I mean, the tears just like, it's stream, it's like a waterfall. <laughs> and now we need to sort this out because we're at this wedding. And are we bad actors? I'm a really bad actor. When, when my husband and I are not lacquer with one another, I can't fake it. I, I just can't. And now we need to sort it out and we can't get this right because Andre is like, this is ridiculous. And I'm like, I'm so hurt and I'm so, you know, and we've, this thing is, it's a minefield we've never come across. We've never crossed this situation. We've never been in a situation where he's offered his jacket to any girl. It's, I mean, I can't even remember. This must have been like six, seven years ago. So it's our first encounter with this minefield. And so eventually I go to the bathroom. We just need space. I mean, I don't know how I'm going to survive this night. I walk out and then my husband's waiting for me. I'm like, oh my goodness. I'm, I, I can't get away from the situation. And then something beautiful happened. So Andre said to me, okay, explain to me. He, he, he started treating me with understanding. So up, up until that point, it was just like, this is ridiculous. Woman, <laughs> what's going on with you? Then he said, explain to me. Explain to me. So I said to him, the way I grew up, if uh, a boy gives his jacket to a girl, he means serious business. He likes her. He kind of claims her. You know, he's he's like tracksuit top. He's like given to this girl because she's cold. And for me, it was like a massive sign of you kind of claiming this girl. I don't know. In my mind, there's a massive sentimental thing with my husband's whatever he's wearing, giving it to somebody else. And I couldn't stand the idea of another person for the whole evening sitting with his jacket around his shoulders. And, I mean, after all, it's my jacket. What if I am gold? <laughs> and, you know, eventually, Andre made a decision. And it was beautiful. I mean, that night was saved, not because of me, but because of my husband. He said, okay, I get it. I, I don't completely understand it, but I get that this is very important for you. And he made a decision from that day onwards to honor this thing in me. It doesn't make sense to him. He will give his jacket to anybody. You know, it, it's, not sent, it's not a sentimental thing for him, but because it is for me, he decided to treat me with understanding. Not to understand me because he, re he doesn't really understand. But to treat me with understanding, meaning he decided to honor my feelings, even though it doesn't make sense to him. And it was a massive breakthrough. So that minefield now is a beautiful strength in our relationship because he understands the sentiment I have around his, you know, a piece of clothing that, that can either be a, a beautiful thing in our relationship or it can become a constant minefield. And he decided to treat me with understanding, which is beautiful. And so in your relationship, things like this can become a strength, or you can constantly go down the same roads of fighting over something really small, but also really big. And that day, it was, it was, it was beautiful. You know, the way Andre handled it. So let's speak to the wives, 1 Peter 3. In the same way, your wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Ladies, our husband is the king of our home. So this is what I teach my son. 
And I must say, the more I teach my son and the more I, I proclaim it, the more I believe it and the more it becomes a value in our home. And the difficult part of this thing is it's really easy to treat your husband like the king when he acts like a good king. That's easy. It's simple. The problem comes in when the good king does not act like a good king. And you actually expect him to act like a good king, especially if he's a Christian man, especially if he's a pastor. And now you need to make a decision. Are you still going to treat him like the king? Or are you going to treat him like a naughty child? And I had to learn. It's something I had to learn in my marriage that there's so many positive outcomes when I treat my husband like a king at all times, regardless of his performance and regardless of what he does or doesn't do. Because when I do that, the more he acts like a good king, it is beautiful. The more he listens to me, the more he treats me with respect, the more he, he gives me the benefit of the doubt. So I just realized that I don't lose power when I treat him like the king. I gain power. And I think that's the fear for a woman that you feel you're going to lose control or you're going to lose power when you treat somebody like a king when he, when he really messes up. Because surely he's just going to keep on messing up. But it's, it's the other way around. When we give grace, when somebody does not deserve grace, it will motivate him to become a better king of your home. So I want to encourage the ladies, you know, if you're married... Visit your husband's workplace and see how other people treat him with respect, how his employees, his colleagues treat him with respect. And let that inspire you. It is beautiful to see how other people treat somebody with respect because it inspires us to do the same. And then so familiarity is a massive minefield which can become a beautiful brick in our foundation. Let's talk about a second one, fighting. Fighting. Ephesians 4, 26, 27 in the Amplified. When angry, do not sin. We all become angry. Okay? It's not, our goal is not to never become angry. It's not possible. When angry, do not sin. That is our goal. So do not ever let your wrath, your exasperation, your fury, indignation last until the sun goes down. Leave no such room or foothold for the devil and give no opportunity to him. So, let me explain to you the importance of this scripture. Because many people say, sort out your issues before you switch off the lights. So, why is that so important? The reason for that is, if you don't do that, you're going to fight about multiple things in the future that have never been resolved. But if you deal with one thing properly and close it off in this peace and this closure, it is in the past the blood of Jesus helped you to deal with it. And when there's another thing, you deal with that in isolation. You don't deal with multiple things that has built up over weeks or over months. You know, so in the, in the beginning of our dating relationship, we had this thing we would fight about all the time. It's when we go to a formal event, and we all dress up, and it's supposed to be this wonderful date with my either boyfriend or fiancé or, or husband. Somewhere along the evening, we strike a minefield, and it's just, it's an explosion. And it is almost like the, 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 uh, the jacket scenario, <laughs> you know, it's just an explosion. 
So there were many reasons for that. I mean, when when I started, I only started dancing when I was at university. Guys in church actually taught me to dance. It was so special. And Andre learned to dance when I was in primary school. So when when we started dating, he was kind of over it, you know. And I was excited, you know. I I've just learned to dance. I know I have a boyfriend. Andrew was my first boyfriend, so these things are all new to me. Okay, now I have a boyfriend. We can dance, and he's like, he's really not in the mood, or he's kind of over it, or he doesn't have the right shoes on, or that song isn't nice. It was just forever a struggle for us to to unite around this this thing. So I was des- I was overly desperate to dance. He was over it, over it, you know, and. Then he would also want to try me sometimes to teach me all kinds of fancy moves, like in public on the dance floor. Now I don't get this right, so remember this is new for me. And now I get insecure, he becomes frustrated, and it was a minefield full of things that could potentially just upset us. So then we realized, listen, this is, this is horrible. You know, we, we actually want to avoid these things. So what we started doing when we drive towards any formal event, whether it's a wedding or a formal, we all dressed up, we would take hands in the car and we would pray and we would make war against division. And it really carried us through a season where this minefield was just waiting for us all the time. And we did it for a season. And I can honestly tell you, I don't even know when last we have prayed before we would drive to a wedding because we have won this battle by the grace of God. You know, I'm less insecure. And again, Andre started treating me with understanding in this area. He knows that I just want to dance one or two or three songs and I'm happy. I don't want to dance necessarily the whole night, but just give me two or three dances and I'm happy. You know, so my insecurity disappeared and he... He knows that this is important to me. We found one another, but it was years. It was actually years of fighting. But if there's something in your relationship that is like this, I just want to encourage you, by the grace of God and partnering with the Holy Spirit, we can overcome this. We can. You can. And we have multiple stories. I mean, these are just like the tip of the iceberg of things that we had to work through. But I have so many stories where God, God came onto the scene and he said, I'm going to help you. And we said, yes, Lord, we need you. And the, the end result is something beautiful. So something that's always been a minefield has become something beautiful in our relationship. So I want to give you a few helpful hints to how to be good at conflict because we all fight. You know, Andre always laughs at me because I call it a fight and he says this is not a fight. But for me, this is like a real hectic, intense fight. And he will see it as a, I don't know, a discussion or something. I don't know. But I, I, for me, it's intense. And the next day, he, he can't remember what we fought about. And I'm like, I'm still mourning and crying and I'm, I'm, I haven't recovered. I haven't recovered, so I want to give you a few, just a few tips. First of all, we need to guard our mouths. We can't just say what we want. And some people believe they can, but you can't. We don't have the luxury as Christians just to say what we want to say. 
Yes, we need to voice our feelings. I'm not saying we must become peacekeepers who just sweep everything under the rug. It's not going to be healthy either. But we can't just say things the way we want to say it. We need to think before we speak. Because when the words are out, we can never take it back. We can trust God to bring healing. We can say, I'm sorry. We can say, I forgive you. But sometimes it takes years for words, for the effect of a word to be healed. So we need to think before we speak. We can't just say what we want to say when we're angry. You know, it says, when we are angry, do not sin. So we need to think before we speak. So I want to I want to I wanna challenge you tonight. What language is acceptable in your home? Or for you as an individual, if you're not married, what language do you use when you're angry, when you're upset, when you are frustrated? And could those words that you use potentially be used in, in, a, in a relationship when you cross with a person that you really love, but you're so used to speaking those words... It just comes, it just flows naturally, and you are okay with it, and now it happens, and you speak a word that is destructive over somebody that you love. So I want to challenge you what words are acceptable as part of your vocabulary, and is that something we're supposed to use? I want to take you to a scripture in James 3, verse 7 to 10, that says, People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. This is a hectic scripture. Sometimes it praises our God, this is our tongue. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father. And sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. So I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to tell you what words are inappropriate, but I want to challenge you to a higher standard. What words, what kind of words do we use when we are frustrated and angry? And are those words appropriate? And do you sometimes even use those words in conflict towards a person that that destroys the intimacy and and, and and all destructive. Okay, so guard your mouth. Number two, put yourself in the other person's shoes. We're talking about tips how to be good at conflict. We can't avoid conflict, but we need to learn how to be good at it. Put yourself in the other person's shoes. Your goal is not agreement. Your goal is understanding. So you don't necessarily have to make your goal agreement because it's not so easy to agree on everything. I also don't think that is the... That should be the goal. You know, should we buy this couch or this couch? No, we disagree and we're going to forever disagree. So let's work towards understanding. Why do you like this one? Why do you like that one? Let's aim for understanding. Put yourself in the other person's shoes. Listen. Understand their heart. Pray together. There's a real enemy who wants to, us, wants to divide us. A real enemy. We need to pray together. We need to forgive, forgive, forgive again. 70 times 7. We need to forgive. And this is something we need to learn before we get married. You won't, you won't ever know how many times you need to forgive your spouse until you get married. 
So if you're unmarried and you're battling with unforgiveness, it's going to be a massive minefield in your marriage. So this is something you need to work at now already. You need to learn to say, I forgive you. If you have unforgiveness in your heart towards friends, towards colleagues, towards your boss, towards your mom, deal with it. Because in your marriage, you would need, this is, this is very much applicable in marriage, 70 times 7. 490 times maybe you need to forgive your spouse for the same thing. And if we don't learn to, to practice forgiveness before we get married, you're going to pretty much learn this when you get married. And then it's going to be so more diff- much more difficult because you have never, you've never done it or you have never intentionally done it. Go for it. Go for cleaning up your heart and learning to forgive daily, weekly, if necessary. Talk again, pray together again until both parties are at peace. Now, this is very important because normally one person gets over conflict quicker than the other one. In our relationship, my husband is truly, the next day is fine. He, he can't remember. He, like, he simply, he honestly can't remember. For me, I, I struggle for days sometimes. For days. Now, whose responsibility is this to, to, to go back and talk again and pray again? It's my responsibility. So if you are the one who gets over a fight quicker... Your responsibility is not to, to come with, oh, no, man, it's dealt with, you're ridiculous, just get over it. Okay, you can't have that attitude. Please, for those of you who move on quickly, you need to allow the more sensitive souls like me to come to you and say, I don't feel well, I, I'm still hurting, I'm still not feeling good about the situation, and what you said there really hurt me. So now you're actually not... It's not the issue anymore. It's actually what has been said during the conflict situation. It's those words that, is now, that you now need to deal with. So you need to talk and pray and talk and pray and forgive and forgive and forgive again until there's peace, until there's closure. And I know the scripture says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And we, we do that. We, but sometimes I need a second session. Sometimes I need a third session. And my husband knows me by now. Praise God for somebody who is willing to deal with me with understanding because he's different than I am. But if I go back to him the next day and I tell him, we need to pray again, then he says, let's do it. He's willing to work with me until I have peace. So even if you feel you've dealt with it, there might be one person in the relationship, you don't have peace yet. You need to fight for that peace and that closure until you have it. Okay? It's, it's so important. Otherwise, three years down the line, you're going to, in an argument, say something and your poor husband or wife, it can be either way, would have no clue where this is coming from. And then you would literally tell them, yes, but three years ago. And he's like, what are you talking about? So it's so important to work through something until you have closure. Peace. I call it Peace. Peace. There's no frustration. There's no anger. There's no, there's no, no negative emotion around the thing left. Okay. So, let's talk about the third one quickly. Finances. 
Finances is a massive minefield, and some, some studies say it's the number one reason for divorce. If you read up some, you know, I mean, most studies agree that it's under the top five of, of reasons why people divorce. So we have united around two core values. One is found in Proverbs 3 to 7. It says, do not be wise in your own eyes. This is 3 to 7. And then verse 9, it says, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So we decided as a couple not to be wise in our own eyes, but to honor the Lord. And I know many of you do the same thing. So the way we honor the Lord is we separate the first fruits of all our income and we give it to our local church. So I'm not going to say much about this, but this is a value that brings a lot of peace and order in our financial world. Because finances, it's a, it could be a minefield even when you are unmarried. Now you merge two worlds, two financial worlds, two financial worldviews, and now two people get married and you need to do this together. This is, it can be a daily, a daily struggle for people to find one another. But we have learned if we do not bring God into the picture, if we do not honor Him with our finances, then our foundation is very shaky. You know, then we are being wise in our own eyes. And all the financial wisdom in the world will not give you a strong foundation unless you start with honoring the Lord. So we, we take 10%, we put it aside, it's the first thing on our budget. We have, we have a budget, and the first line is our tithe to our local church. We don't think about it, we don't debate about it, it's not our money. We consider it as God's, and it brings peace and, and uh, prosperity into our, into our home. And I'm not saying tithing is a magic button. I'm not saying just tithe and then everything is going to be perfect in your finances. There's a lot of things that should be in place. But my belief is that if we do not honor the Lord, you can do everything else and you, you don't have the blessing from God because you are being wise in your own eyes. So we honor the Lord. And the second thing we do is is we unite, we, we, we go for unity in our finances. So we, our salaries go into one account. Our salaries go into one account, we have one budget, and we have no secrets. And to, to, to be able to do this, there must be trust in the relationship. And to, to have trust in a relationship, you must prove yourself trustworthy. So, once again, if you are not yet married tonight, I'm saying not yet because it's coming in Jesus' name for all of you. If you are not yet married, this is something you can invest in now. How do you prove yourself trustworthy to your friends, to your family, in your workplace? Because if you cannot prove yourself to, trust, to be trustworthy, it's going to also be a minefield one day in your marriage. So, we need to be able to trust one another when it comes to finances. Trust one another 110%, which means you need to prove yourself trustworthy. So we honor the Lord and we have unity around big purchases, big money we give away, and big investments. We have one budget and we agree on everything and there is 
peace. It's beautiful. And you can have the same. And I mean, when we when we got married, I was a third-year article clerk, and Andre was still studying. It was a very difficult year for us. So I was the breadwinner. I didn't earn a lot. And Andre had like the odd bursary or the odd, you know, something coming in, but it wasn't much. So I carried a massive burden. And our, our year one was just, as I say, it was just the one minefield after the other. And by the grace of God, we united around certain core values. And the peace we have today in the area of our finances is just incredible. And I want all of you guys to experience the same. And for us, it was a journey. It wasn't just, you know, from day one. It was a journey, but you can have it as well. Okay, last one. So we, 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 we're talking about minefields in marriage that can become a strength, okay? Familiarity, fighting, finances. Fourth one, and the last one I just want to talk about is unfaithfulness, which can either be the minefield, or faithfulness, which can be a, a, a strength or a brick in your foundation. So Malachi 2, verse 15 and 16. This is in the message translation. It's beautiful. It says, God... Not you made marriage. God, not you, not us, made marriage. His spirit in, inhabits even the smallest details of marriage. I think this is amazing. Even the smallest details of marriage, which means whether it's fighting, whether it's familiarity, whether it's, whether it's finances, even the smallest detail of what you experience in, in marriage, his spirit inhabits his, his spirit comes and he dwells there in the midst of that situation. Then it says, so God, the spirit of marriage within you, don't cheat on your spouse, watch yourselves. Don't let your guard down. So a, a massive minefield that could lead to unfaithfulness that I want to address tonight. It's a bit controversial, but I really felt that God wanted me to speak about it, is pornography. So Pornography falls in the cat into the category of addiction, so it could be any addiction. It can be alcohol, it could be gaming, it could be there could be so many things that can be a minefield, especially in a in in, in your in unmarried married can be a minefield. So if you are not yet married, again, one of the biggest investments in your future marriage is to deal with an addiction now. This will destroy any kind of addiction. Serious addiction could potentially destroy your future marriage. So I want to beg you guys to do whatever it takes to deal with it now. To deal with it before you get married. So if you are married, the, the men, if you are battling with this and you're keeping this in the dark, it will over time destroy your marriage. It will destroy your own heart. So I just want to break the power of shame tonight over anybody who's battling. We're not going to judge you. We're not going to condemn you. The blood of Jesus is more powerful than the biggest and the most wicked sin in this world or, or most horrible darkness. One drop of the blood of Jesus is stronger and more powerful. But we need to partner with God in dealing with this. We need to partner with Him. So... If, if you are battling with pornography, you need to be ruthless. You need to be on it. You, you must chase it away like you would chase a dog away that comes onto your you know, territory, in your home, that, is, that comes and 
messes around in your garden or jumps on your couch. You know, you're not going to take that. You're going to chase the dog. So this is the way we need to deal with this kind of a thing. We need to, no way. What is he doing here? It doesn't belong here. Let's chase it. But if you are married, your wife cannot be your primary accountability partner. Okay? You need to find male accountability partners, and that is something you need to do. Other people can't keep you accountable. You must make yourself accountable. You must pick up the phone and say, listen, I need to talk. We need to talk. We need to pray. I'm battling. So your wife cannot be a primary accountability partner because we are not designed to deal with this daily, weekly, or even monthly. You need male accountability partners. I want to encourage you guys. You can overcome this by God's grace. Your marriage is beautiful and it's worth fighting for. So do whatever it takes. Ladies, if you find out that your husband's battling with pornography, first of all, you need to understand that he is not the only one. Your husband's not the only one battling. Most men are battling, even Christian men, even pastors. Some have battled, some are still battling. You know, I've spoken to a woman years ago, not in East London, and she said to me, uh, she found out that her husband was battling with pornography, and she said to me, Sonika, I married a Christian man so that this would never happen. So she was completely ignorant of this battle that even Christian men are fighting. You know, and so I, I, I just want to encourage you that God is greater. We need to approach it by faith. So if you are a woman and if you are finding out that your husband's battling for the first time, it's normally very devastating when you find it out for the very first time. It is heartbreaking and it's very difficult to deal with, but we need to approach it by faith. You need to tell yourself God is greater. And especially if your husband has the, the, the courage to tell you he's humbling himself. And in that moment, something beautiful happens because God gives grace to the humble. So we can't come with judgment. We need to give grace. And we need to come with mercy. So we have the opportunity to either break him down and build him up. And I've seen in many marriages that pornography, the battle with pornography, can become a beautiful cornerstone in a marriage. If, there's a massive if, it's dealt with correctly. If the husband, and once again, ladies can also battle. Okay, It is primarily something men battles with. Ladies can also battle, so this is vice versa. But if there's accountability, if there is there is humility, and if somebody deals with it ruthlessly and the other party gives grace, mercy, and support, you can overcome this in the name of Jesus. All of you can overcome this. And we need to teach our children how to deal with this. Our son's turning 11 in December. We've had multiple discussions with him around the dangers of pornography, the beauty of sex within marriage, and, you know, they say that your child views the, pers- the first person speaking to him or her about these things as the expert. So they will come, your children will come back to you with questions if you have spoken to him or her first. If they hear about this from a friend for the first time, they're poss- most possibly going to go back to the friend because they view the friend as the expert. You know, so I just tell my son, you can ask me anything. And it creates a tremendous platform for him not to be insecure. I mean, he's still young, so I mean, we've 
the, the questions he had was limited, but he had questions. You know, and there was once he said to me, Mommy, thank you that I can ask you these questions because he's starting to have questions. And I just said to him, you can ask me anything because I don't want him to go look for it elsewhere. I want him to ask me or my husband. And it's beautiful. We have open discussions. and I've never had that as a child. I've never had open discussions with my parents around these things. So for me, it's a new legacy. And this is what you guys can have in your families, a new legacy, a new generation of equipping your children and of not being fearful of these things, but to approach it by faith and to trust the Lord to turn it into something good. Amen? Because this is not about being perfect, but it's about an intentional effort to unite around certain core values. Our goal is not perfection. Jesus is perfect, and he has paid the price for all our weaknesses and our imperfections. So the goal is not perfection. Our goal is to unite around core values as a family and to partner with the Holy Spirit to help us. And then it's a win-win. Ultimately, we run to God when we mess up, and we forgive one another and we give grace to one another. And ultimately, the blood of Jesus, as I said, is stronger than anything that can ever happen. Thank you for listening. Find more on Shofar East London's podcast channel. Let's do life together.